0: This podcast is brought to you by Digital One. Tell your story, connect with your audience, and build your brand with an engaging podcast. Learn more at D-I-G-O-N-E dot
1: It's the Mount Freelance Show, here to help your freelance grow. We're cracking jokes and talking to folks who are in the freelance know. Because it's the Mount Freelance Show, yes, and this is our intro. That's correct. So take a seat and kick up your feet Follow the Mount Freelance Podcast Show. Welcome to the Mount Freelance Podcasts. I'm Andrew Dixon. And I'm Aaron James. What's this podcast all about, Aaron? Well, I was hoping you would answer that. We are going to bring in a premier creative freelancer and we are going to interview them so that you, our listener, and you, Aaron, learn more <laughs> about freelancing.
2: I think as we have created Mount Freelance, which is a course, community, and now a thriving podcast to learn about the craft and business side of freelance, I think one thing we have learned is that there is a lot to learn.
1: You know what we should do after the interview is we should answer like a listener question so that we can actually offer some of our own freelance advice, because we've been doing this for a while,
2: haven't we? Yeah, we have. I mean, over time, I think we've picked up a few tricks of the trade, a few... Acts, we're willing to share. I mean, the whole idea is that this isn't a secret anymore.
1: I'm, I'm pulling up the Mount Freelance website, which you designed and I wrote, and it says here we have over two decades combined freelance experience working for some of the biggest brands and agencies in the world. Is that, is that
2: true? That is true. And I will give you a podcast high five. <laughs> Who are we talking to today, Aaron? I'm going to give you a hint. Uh, I'm going to say one word. Strategist. A professional chess
1: player. No. A strategist in the
2: advertising arts. Yes. Someone who comes up yes. with the idea,
1: the insight that leads to the new brand or the new advertising campaign.
2: Now I'm going to say two more words. British accent. Lisa Prince. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs>
0: We got Lisa Prince oh, in the house. hey, Lisa. <laughs>
1: Why are you here?
0: Because I like you. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and you said yes, and we emailed.
0: I have nothing else to do this afternoon, guys, and you're nice people to hang out with. Aww. Double
1: win. So, Lisa, when you meet someone for the first time, say, at a cocktail party, what do you say that you do for a living?
0: God, you're hitting me with the hardest question right off the bat. So, I'm a strategist, which of course means then I have to spend five minutes explaining what I do. So you've hit the nail on the head. So people go, what is that business strategy, management strategy? And I say, well, basically, if you have a company and you need to tell a story about that company and figure out what your story is and how you're going to use that story to keep your business afloat, I'm the person that helps you figure that out and how to turn it into money. And not just turning it into money, I suppose, but turning it into something useful in the world, too. And then I take that story and I translate it for all the people it needs to be translated for. So internal staff, product designers, creatives in an agency, whoever needs to be clear on what that story is. And I find that, personally, as a brand strategist, the easiest way to explain it.
2: So there's a lot of uh, preparation that goes into understanding a brand. Can you tell us... What that preparation is?
0: To start that, I think one of the mis- most, because I work with a lot of people now outside of advertising agencies or new to this. And I think one of the most misunderstood things about strategy and creativity is that they're considered to be enemies you know, rather than bedfellows. So, um, you know, the strategy is going to get in the way of creative freedom and then creative freedom is going to get in the way of being strategic. And actually, I find they're just not often used together in the right way. And I think what people misunderstood is that creativity actually thrives on a little bit of rigor. Um, So I'm sure as creatives here, the worst brief in the world is just do some cool shit, right? Without any... Direction, problem to solve, uh, sort of parameters in which you're working with, or areas to go explore. So, I think that I kind of think of the strategist almost like a a pig who hunts for truffles, and you have to go find the good truffles. So, I think the process always begins for me with strategy, with what is the problem we're all trying to solve here, and to define. We all know the adage like a problem well defined is a problem half solved. And I think we know it, but we don't live it, right? So if we can spend all half the time, even two-thirds of the time, on really understanding what the problem is, then the rest of things fall into place really quickly.
1: So as far as your career, uh, I'm imagining you started as a junior strategist. When did you kind of get the keys to the car and, and really get to run uh, a campaign by yourself?
0: I'm trying to remember that moment. I think five years in... Um, I was just given an opportunity to work on a pitch by myself and, you know, just given a chance to see if I could fly in my own two wings, and, and I was really ready then. But, of course, made all the mistakes that people make when they're kind of going on their own, right? Just not being able to read a room really well, maybe not having the emotional intelligence that goes with the job and all of that good stuff.
1: And then we, we of course, know you because uh, we worked together at Widening Kennedy Portland, but you started, obviously, at Widening Kennedy London,
0: So I was at Widen and Kennedy, London for five years, and we had a kid. We had Edie, who's my oldest. Hi, Edie. (laughs) Uh, And... She, uh, she was one and we were living in a tiny flat in London, you know, how everyone does like in big cities. And we were like, what are we doing? Like, we can't live in this tiny flat with a baby. And it was one of those moments where you're like, well, I either get like a bigger job and a bigger house that I'm never in because I'm at my bigger job or we do something different. So I asked for a transfer to Wyden and Kennedy, Portland. And in the classic chaos of Wyden, uh, I was interviewed like, 15 times at Wyden and Kennedy Portland when I flew out for the day and only on my last interview I think someone realised I actually already worked at Wyden <laughs> <laughs> And they didn't need to interview me so many times because <laughs> everyone just kept showing up to chat with me. And I was like, I'm, this is a really big interview considering I've worked here for five years. Um, but that's widen, widen for you in all its charms. So, yeah, I came out to run the strategy on the P&G Thank You Mum campaign for the Olympics, which was turning a what had been an effective but pretty small campaign into something you know Olympic-worthy.
2: So what inspired you to go freelance?
0: Um, in full transparency, it was a total midlife burnout. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um, took six months off and I decided to, I'm quite an A-type personality, so this was a bit of a weird thing to tell myself, but I was like, achieve nothing, just like, nothing I want to meet people in six months and they go what have you been doing and I say nothing anything interesting no not really (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, how are you doing fine I think Uh, and I I was super grateful for that experience because I I basically spent six months tidying my basement and not talking to anyone apart from my family and and that was wonderful and in that time I thought oh I'm going to be a stay-at-home mum what works a little bit. And it's funny how I've definitely found an incredible amount of balance, but I'm not a stay-at-home mom, what works a little bit. And that, that bit didn't transpire. Um, and I think that was probably just an overreaction, you know, so you're a burnout, so you're like, I'm never going to work again. And then you you kind of write the ship and you're like, actually, I would quite like to work a little bit and some interesting stuff.
2: Okay, so you laid yourself off.
0: I laid myself <laughs> off. <laughs> I love that. it's I mean, that's a t-shirt right I mean, there. It, <laughs> it's a Mount
2: Freelance t-shirt. <laughs> Get those it, made. Andrew and I, you know, have have fun with the fact that our freelance careers started by being laid off, and ah. um, and it's it's actually pretty common. You know, a lot of people. I mean, there is this, a sense of security that comes with a full time mm-hmm. job. That's that's only a sense. You know, mm-hmm. and I think when. When you go freelance, you realize, wow, there, there's a lot more to do here. But um, you know, I have a little bit more control over kind of where this where this is headed.
0: Yeah, and I think so. I always ta- the the next way I talked about this break, and this was really helpful for that cocktail party conversation. So I, if someone wants to use this, go right ahead. I said I'm having a walkabout period, which is basically how to. So what I said is, I this industry is changing an awful lot. And I don't know where my place in it is or or where I want to be. So I'm on a walkabout period where I'm going to explore all the different places I could be and figure out what I want to do and learn from those experiences, which is just a really clever way of repackaging. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing (laughs) and I'll take any job that comes. (laughs) Good branding. (laughs) So and that's kind of what I did for the first year. I took. I really said yes to everything. Um, some experiences were sexy and great, and some were unsexy and not great, and some were unsexy and great. You know all the different permutations.
1: So yeah, tell us about your 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 current project, your business, your or your consultancy.
0: Yeah. So before I left Widening Kennedy, I'd run a. Um, small program called strategy school where I was doing something quite similar to what I'm doing now and that was great because that taught me that this is something I really loved so all the skills obviously uh, you mentioned this earlier of strategy being able to translate things make them simple take complexity out of things uh, are basically the skills of a sort of teaching as well and so I sort of wanted saw this next generation of strategists coming up and even creatives anyone working in this field and I couldn't help but feel like oh if I could just share 10 things I was taught uh I could make their jobs a lot easier um and so during that time I was approached by an agency who said hey could you come train our people you have a training company right and it was one of those moments where you go yes I do uh, And then you quickly build a website over a weekend and register in LLC and all of that stuff, which is exactly what I did. Wow. So I said, yes, I do have a company. It's uh, called, uh, actually, I didn't even have a name. I'll tell you a funny story about the name, but I do have a company and I'll send you a proposal on our website on Monday morning. Uh, and we built a website in a weekend. Uh, and what we our company is called School of Ideas. And we work with... Uh, companies, agencies, anyone who will have us, frankly, um, to teach the practical tools behind big ideas. And so when I was trying to work out if it should be a strategy school or a version of that or school of ideas, I decided to go to Powell's bookshop. And I said, if the section on strategy is big, it's strategy school. If the section on ideas is bigger, it's school of ideas. And the strategy section was three books. <laughs> 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 and the ideas section was like a whole sort of corridor. So I was like, Oh, school of ideas.
2: School of ideas wins. Yeah. Well, I think I think strategy <laughs> had three books, planning had one. So you kinda like <laughs> your way into it.
0: That's true. <laughs> And so, um, so we showed up to that agency and we first started working with agencies. And who's we, just so we... Uh, yes, so I'm partnered with my wonderful partner and best friend, Hannah Nesper-Newell, who we also obviously know from Widening Kennedy. She's the managing director. Um, and we've been doing this for four years now.
1: Has it been four years? It's been
0: four years wow. since we've been doing this. And, um, you know, that it, it's mostly going really well.
1: Here in Portland, Aaron, we can get Stumptown Coffee whenever we want, but what do folks who live elsewhere need to do? Um, I'm not sure, actually. They go to the internet, and they can actually sign up to get a subscription service where every other Monday, fresh whole bean coffee is going to be sent to their door. Oh, my gosh. So it's like a magazine? That you can drink. (sighs) Do they grind it? They don't, because they don't want any flavor to be lost in the mail. If you enter MT Freelance at checkout, you're going to get 50% off your first order.
2: Oh, my gosh. Could you bump that up to half off that first order?
1: I think I have the authority. Yes. Okay. Half off.
2: Let's do it. MT Freelance at checkout at StumptownCoffee.com. So, what is your process for kind of keeping the work, the projects, the engagements coming in?
0: Oh, feeding the pipeline, yes. right? Yeah, our situation is somewhat unique because it takes a long time to sell our program, right? Because it's not—it falls into the bucket of training, which is unfortunate for us, and we need to work on that. And that is seen as a luxury when actually it's not a luxury. This is really important. And so we have long lead times, but then once we sell our program, you know, uh, it's profitable for our business. The best um, way I can describe it is it's kind of like a real estate model, work, 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 and then sell a house and get a commission. So I bought a book on how to feed the pipeline as a realtor, Um, uh, because there's lots of books on that. And one of the things that really came out to, to me from that book, but it's a bit of a no-brainer, is just fostering your relationships. And I don't want everyone to be a salesperson, but I think if I can just nurture relationships with people I like and just talk very sort of passionately, because I am passionate about what we do, the Venn diagram of their needs and what we offer will cross over at some point. So I just try to stay in contact with all the people that I am in contact with and I just really try to nurture a proper relationship not a salesy relationship but a like a human to human relationship like how are you how are your kids like I care about you and let's go out for dinner you're a good person I'm a good person um let's stay on top of what each other need and then some and I nurture that even knowing that that may never translate to business uh, or it might translate to business in a year or two years time but just consistently plugging away at it because there'll always come a point where someone's like oh I have a I have a need and then you want to be present when they have a need right and it's all about having a ton of integrity so I nurture my relationships cuz you never know where a lead comes from like I've even looking at Andrew here, because I think I got a lead from you standing in a swimming pool, like the summer pool, Creston summer pool, you're like, hey, you should check out this agency. They're looking for someone. We were both like ankle deep in water in the, <laughs> by, the, by, yeah, the, yeah. by the kiddie slide, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's like, you never know where a lead's going to come. So just be a good person and maintain your relationships. And um, I'm really big on that for life as well as business. Um, and then also, I think it's as much about what you don't do as what you should do. So I'm very clear on who we may not be right for. And I focus on the people I think we're going to be right for. Uh, and I'm very upfront with that, with people. So, you know, sometimes people call me and I go, look, you shouldn't work with us. You know, we're way we're way more than you need or we're going to be too expensive for you or um, your problem's not actually what we solve. Um, and so I've said as many no's as I've said yes.
1: When but, you when you say no, do you have? I mean, is it? a, Do you have like people you refer them to?
0: Yes, always, always. And I that's a great. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's, that's not, foster, freelance
1: 101, okay. yeah. not freelance one hundred and one. Okay, not freelance one hundred and one. Yeah, because
0: that's also fostering <laughs> relationships, right? So it's a win win for everyone. Because you, I've I've always do that. I have like a handful of people who I know are really good at all the things that I get asked for a lot that I don't. I, I'm not best served to, to do, and I'm always recommending. And then they recommend back. But even if they don't recommend back, you still are providing a service. You're being helpful to that contact. So they're like, great, you're not the right person, but I still think of you as a really useful person because you connected me. And so then you get stuck in the brain as being a useful person and they come back to you again for other stuff. So I think that's a, a huge part of this. Um, and then the other thing is just plugging away at it like feed the pipeline I think the biggest mistake we made and I'm sure a lot of freelancers feel this is not feeding the pipeline when you're busy and then suddenly coming out and realizing you didn't feed it so there's no jobs um, and it's going to take three months to get it up and running Um, and so I've got much better at like oh at the height of a project always thinking about what the next project's going to be.
1: Aaron often suggests when you are super busy, that's the best time to reach out to other clients. Like, hey, I'm really
2: busy now, but just so saying, true. But I'm just saying hi, because even if you had work, I couldn't possibly take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would say that one thing I've learned is a no is a very attractive thing to people, uh, as is uh, I'm too busy right now. Because I think it's just human nature that they go, oh, I don't want to be I don't want to be turned down. This person must be really good, or um, I want the person who's busy because that means they're really good.
1: Right. Versus, I'm absolutely free. I can I can yes. accommodate you however you want. That's, yes, that's true. I'm yes. actually at your friend's door right now. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So one of the things that often gets discussed in our in our member group is is whether to go by your own name or create a business uh, that you can sort of uh, work behind. And, and you've gone the business route. Talk a little bit about what that has afforded you or opportunities that, that that's um, opened up?
0: It, it this, is, this is a world where perception and reality are sometimes two different things, right? So you have to be very confident of your value. Um, and I think especially as women, we hugely underestimate our value. So first, is, is that putting your big girl pants on and being like, I'm going to stay on this phone. I'm going to throw my rate out. I'm going to let the silence hang there. I'm not going to quiver. I'm just going to go, mm, yep, that's what I'm worth. And that takes a, a lot of training. I think putting a company behind it allows you to abstract it a little bit from yourself. So you kind of feel that you can be more confident. Because rather than saying Lisa Prince is um, very expensive but very fast, which sounds horrible like you can say school of ideas is is not the cheapest thing on the market but also we're incredibly fast and efficient and you're going to get your value back um, in a multitude of ways and so I think it allows you to have quite tough conversations in an easier way I also think there's a perception that you're bigger um, which so I've been in a few situations where like a managing director has been standing up talking about what School of Ideas has done or what they're going to do. And I sit there smiling because I'm like, you're really just talking about two people or three people. And I include my wonderful husband who does all our design. Um, and like three people around a kitchen table. But when you stand up and say School of Ideas have been delivered an incredible. 50 people nodding their know Gosh,
2: did that come from floor four or yes, floor five? Yes. So I
0: definitely think that that helps hugely um and also as we've grown it's been really nice to step back and and let other people have a voice in this like I don't have to be on top of all of these decisions you know um and it gives us flexibility to bring in other people in the in the future um you know and we already do that sometimes we're five versus three um so you know that's that's given us that option
2: Okay. Fast forward in five years, do you see this as a 30 person company?
0: Absolutely not. So my, my aim in life, which is actually surprisingly difficult is to be moderately successful. (laughs) 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 It's really, it's easy to fail. And I think in some ways it's easier to go big. Um, And what I mean by that is to scale up and grow and like chase that and go after it because you know, and I, I say that because if you come into a company and you're effective and you're good, they'll want to give you more work. And some of those projects will be really big. And I I hear that monkey in my ear who's like, well, staff up and, you know, take on the really big project. But then what I'm always trying to balance this with is the life that I actually really want to lead. And that's the whole reason I wanted to work for myself so that I could live the life I wanted to lead. And the life I want to lead is not working all the time.
1: What are some of the challenges? You know, you mentioned like the pipeline, but what what have you found anything else challenging about freelance?
0: Oh my God, so much. I heard this great quote, which I'm sure you guys have heard several times that anxiety is the price you pay for freedom. And I think that sums up this life so much, right? So I worry all the time. So my number one challenge with all of this is I'm constantly worried about money. Um, You know, I'm constantly worried when the next job's going to happen. And even if I have three months booked out, you're always then, well, what's the next three months going to look like? And even if this year's starting to look good, you're like, well, what does the next year look like? And I've realized after five years of doing this, I don't think that goes away. Like, I don't think you ever get to put a stamp and go oh I've made it now it's all like it's all coming through smoothly um certainly not when you're trying to be moderately successful (laughs) um and so that constant anxiety haunts me but I know that's the price I have to pay for this life I you know I get to control my schedule I get to be a good friend I get to see my kids I get to rest um so I try and build in genuine periods of rest and reflection. Uh, and you know what? I, I've i made my numbers, you know. I've, I've made my numbers for a few years now. And so this doesn't come from a place of rationality. It comes yeah. from just pure fear.
1: So you have numbers. Like, do you set goals on how much you all want to make?
0: Every... Oh, my God, do I have numbers. I have an Excel spreadsheet for everything. I'm the daughter of a financial planner. So... I bought that, the freelancer's Bible. I'm sure you guys talk about it. And it has the the calculation of your day rate, you know, include benefits, include sick days, include, and uh, yeah, I always calculate. I'm a strategist. I calculate the financial goal I want to make for the year, um, how I'm going, my plan for getting to that goal, like what type of balance of work of consultancy and training. And, and, uh, and then also because I like to build in a couple of months off, it's not really off, a couple of months thoughtfulness over the summer. Um, I have to budget for that, right? So from a cash flow perspective, I have to get that money in ahead of time. So my year is quite front loaded with work so that I can take that time in the summer. And so that takes a lot of planning. Um, so yeah, I have like one of those, you know, like Girl Scout, like countdown things where I have like a figure for the year. This is very satisfying by the way I recommend this. I have an Excel spreadsheet. I write the figure for the year I need to make. And then every time I get paid, I dock that figure, right? And so I can see a financial goal. Maybe I should do it the other way. I prefer it going down to zero because the minute it goes down to zero, I know I can play.
1: Right. And everything else is just gravy. And everything else is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So
0: um, so I find that very satisfying.
1: Very cool.
2: Andrew. Yeah. Um, do you need to spice things up in the kitchen? Not anymore because
1: I have several bottles of Bobby's Boat Sauce.
2: Oh, Bobby's Boat Sauce. Isn't that the sauce that's like ketchup, sriracha, fish sauce, and they all got together, started a full rock band in your mouth? Yes. Okay, well, it does come in hot or classic, and it goes great on eggs, avocado toast, pad thai, or anything else that you're going to make for your next meal. The cool thing is, if you use the code MOUNTFREE, M-T-FREE, all one word, all cap, you're going to get 15% off your order, which is pretty cool. So go to bobbysboatsauce.com and use that code.
1: What's next for School of Ideas? Are you guys going to do your own podcast? or what's
0: You know... This is a really, once again, a really interesting question. So I talk about the three P's on our business. Um, I talk about pipeline, projects and platform. And the platform piece of it is building a platform because I realized, uh, no shit Sherlock, that you kind of have to be out doing stuff to, to make people aware of you. And probably the biggest mistake I've made in my career is a typical female, which is like, well, I don't need to be the name. I, you know, I, you go out in front, and I'll just do the thinking and the work, and and you you talk and do the stuff, and I'll I'll be behind. And I've kind of reached a point in my career where I'm like, I have lots of things to say, so I should start saying them. Um, and also, this is a a win-win because it's going to it's going to draw attention to our business, um, and then it's going to get us in front of more people. We can teach, and their jobs are going to become easier, and and they're going to be sending me notes saying thank you, made my job easier, which is what I love. Um, so I try to. Uh, so what I'm going to be doing with School of Ideas is working on the three Ps, right? But also the platform piece of it's really hard, okay, because it's a lot of work, right? Doing, giving away stuff for free, like doing a podcast, writing an article, keeping up a newsletter. I struggle with a lot of it because I'm kind of like, that is a lot of work that you aren't paid for. And do you really see it come back? I do think a lot of us in advertising, especially, are so excited by creative concepts. We don't always think about the value to a business behind it. So we have a motto, um, work smarter, not harder. And it's because of what we teach. We want people to work smarter, not just harder. And we try to live that too. So there's a lot of things we don't do. I don't have a Twitter account. Because I actually think that's quite time consuming for me. I would get sucked into it and it would take me away from being able to concentrate in other things. So that's a decision I've made and for good or bad. And I very cautiously use Instagram. I try, I'm trying to write more articles. I'm trying to do more podcasts and things like this. But they are, let's say this has been a lovely use of time. The art, writing articles is quite time consuming because I want to do them really well. And that takes time. So trying to figure out the platform piece in the most efficient way, but also the most enjoyable way is really a huge nut to crack. I had a, was given a great piece of advice where I was like, fuck, I don't have a content calendar. Do I need a content calendar? And it just filled me with dread. I was like, it just sort of felt like it was hanging around my neck. And then someone said to me, fuck the content calendar, just write when you want to. And I was like, you know what? That's really good advice. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to live that. But unfortunately, we're really busy right now. And so it's really hard to write articles or medium posts or whatever. So I struggle with that. I haven't cracked um, that at all. So hopefully this podcast counts yes. for like a month's <laughs> worth of content calendaring. Oh
2: yeah, this is your, this is your spring uh, content.
0: <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's a really hard piece. And I'm sure that's something that freelancers and consultants struggle with too. I do see the benefits of it. Of course, I see the benefits. But I think what I'm trying to work out is the sweet spot where the benefits have worn off and the work is too much. Right. You've got to just the right amount of work for the benefits and the enjoyment, but not a bit more.
1: So you are going to all these different companies all all over all over the place and and you're a strategist. What what are you noticing going on right now kind of in in the workplace?
0: What I've become obsessed with is less about like what everyone's latching on to in culture or like what brands should chase and what they should talk about and more about the work habits that are challenging creativity. And the number one challenge I see to creativity on the agency side and the client side and in terms of quality of life and quality of thinking is being completely encapsulated in Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. And I love this phrase. So the death of deep work is the number one trend I'm seeing. And what that basically means is deep work is classified as like concentrating at your highest level on something that really matters and without distraction. So, you know, for me, that looks like a five-hour day where I'm writing a presentation and really thinking hard about it or digging into research and really thinking hard about it. That doesn't happen in companies anymore. So, People are booked solid in meetings back to back. Or when they come together to solve a big problem, it's like 45 minutes, right? We got to crack this in 45 minutes. And it, during that time, they're responding to email, they're responding to text messages, they're updating a Slack channel. And it's like all these distractions. And so the big strategic thinking that needs to get done, the bit, the go slow to go fast, if you like, thinking isn't getting done because no one has time for deep work. And it's not rewarded either. So we're all rewarded on our reactiveness, and pro- productivity is now judged on how quickly we respond to yeah, things. Yeah, so
1: you're off slack for five hours. What was going on? Yeah, slack, totally slacking, so, shirking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that that I see in virtually every place I go into, and that is why people aren't able to come up with really good big ideas anymore because they just don't have any time to think.
1: To me, that's really been the gift of freelance when I was at Widenk, mm-hmm. I just never, there was never time to, you know, you always had to be partnered with someone and multiple people and um, yeah, I just, I love that I get these times to think and really like, and, you know, it's fun. It's, it's fun when you have that gift. Time. So
0: I couldn't agree with you more and I, this is, I'm late to realizing this, right? So that rest period I was talking about in life, you've read the books, you've thought about stuff, I have a chance to look at culture overall. And you come into a company and what i realize now is the superpower is being rested and undistracted. So you're like, hi, I'm fresh and uh, I'm going to think about your problem for the next week and I don't need to be on the Slack channel and no, I don't want the company email address and you'll know where to find me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and that is such a gift. But... I would say it makes you fast, and so it's once again. I'm so hot on making sure that we're getting paid our value. That the value you're delivering in a situation like that is not just the week that you're spending there, but the three weeks you've had off doing all the you know thinking and research. Well, in the 20
1: years, or the 20-year
0: career building (laughs) it, so it's making sure that that comes through too, right? Because also, it's, people are working harder. They're actually working harder to achieve less.
1: When there's an arms race with all the tech companies trying to solve it, but it, I, don't, I think they're almost making it more difficult. I yeah. mean, that's every, every tech client I work with is like, we're solving work.
0: And you know what's the horrible bit about this is that I say to myself now, oh, I'm on hireable now because it's not just a lifestyle thing. I'm just not convinced work works anymore. So I can now see it's a system that's broken um, and therefore I don't want to take part in it because I don't actually think it creates the best output. That's probably a conversation for another day because that's a whole other subject.
2: <laughs> that's like the dark Mount Freelands, the dark side of Mount Freelance.
0: It's all broken. <laughs> it's
1: all well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the Mount Freelance podcast.
0: Thank you guys. I've loved this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All
2: right. We have the exciting part of the show where uh, we get some questions from some of the great folks that listen to this podcast. I can't wait.
0: Hi, Erin, Andrew. My name is Maggie Pang. I'm currently an advertising senior at Syracuse University, interested in doing strategy after graduation. And I'm curious, what do you think are the unobvious pros and cons of freelancing? Something I wonder is, do you ever struggle with kind of finding a sense of belonging um, because you don't work at one company? Thank you so much.
1: Oh, good question, Maggie. Uh, what do you think, Aaron? What are some of the unseen pros or cons of being freelance?
2: Well, maybe this is obvious, so maybe it's seen. But um, you know, there's no cap on what you can earn if you freelance, um, other than your own abilities and time. But you don't—you aren't stuck with like a set amount that that you're making.
1: You can also you can work. I think what I love about freelance is you can literally work for anyone, <laughs> for any brand, any small business, any person, any nonprofit. Um, so that sort of freedom is is pretty incredible. What about a con?
2: There's a little less infrastructure around, or way less infrastructure around your business. Obviously, we advocate creating a little bit of infrastructure yourself, um, as it is your business, but. Um, a lot of the things that uh, that just kind of are taken care of in a, a larger business or an agency or a design shop or that type of thing, um, you know, aren't there. So uh, you do kind of have to roll up your sleeves on on and wear many hats. My
1: IT department is Apple.com. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it takes quite a while for them to uh, to get to my ticket.
2: You know, so a lot of those things, if you um, are. A kind of a a tinker you're adventurous you want to roll up your sleeves and, and solve problems freelance may be a really great uh avenue for you um i also think being able to control your price of what you charge is really really big and um and as you get better at it and kind of understanding like what the market bears um yeah you can you can make more you can charge more you can kind of demand more which is which is great for the first couple years of freelancing, that's when you get really good. That's
1: kind of the fun part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is.
2: And you know, I think we've always talked about students um, and before the pandemic, kind of discouraging them from from going straight into freelance. It's, it's better to kind of build your network, build your experience. You know, with other shops, other other places that you can work, where where you can kind of learn from others. But right now, you know, that's not necessarily an option because of how strange things are right now. So a lot of a lot of students are going straight into freelance.
1: And then as far as that sort of second part of the question, I I think there's been times where I've felt a little lonely, usually when I'm the only freelancer on a longer-term project, and you are the lone freelancer working with a team that, you know, maybe has been working together for a couple of years. But that's... Um, m- what a great lead-in to why we started Mount. Freelance. <laughs> it, it really is, <laughs> Maggie.
2: We'll we'll send your uh, your prize later. But um, you know, one of the things we've always talked about is you need community. Um, you need to be able to bounce things off of people and run ideas and 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 proposals and things by people. And really, that's what we've that's what Mount Freelance is. If, if you if you join the membership, it is built around community. So it's like it's learning. But it's also learning as a team and learning as a group. And and that's an incredible network to kind of tap into to make sure that you don't feel alone. Thanks for that question, Maggie. The Mount
1: Freelance Podcast is handcrafted by the producers, mixers, and sound designers of Digital One, Portland, Oregon. Executive producer Eric Stolberg, post-producer Kelsey Woods, assistant engineer Tristan Schmunk, who also created the theme song and incidental music. To learn more about Aaron, Andrew, and Mount Freelance, visit mtfreelance.com. Thanks for listening, and may your day rate be high and your vacations long.
0: Digital One.